Be opening your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 15. We actually come to a good point in our story to take a break because the story of Abraham uh, enters into a new uh, phase starting in chapter 16. So I'm glad we can finish chapter 15 tonight. I'm going to begin with a story you might remember me telling once before. Back in Charlotte, North Carolina, in January of 2000, the city leaders invited the city's most famous citizen to a banquet in his honor. It was for Billy Graham. He initially refused, partly because of some of his struggles with Parkinson's disease, but they implored him, saying, we're not asking for a major address. We simply want to honor you and and let you make a few remarks. And so they had the dinner, and they said very kind things, which were appropriate. And then he stood to make a few remarks. He went to the rostrum, he looked at the crowd, and he said, I'm reminded of a story about Albert Einstein that Time Magazine had just honored that month as man of the last century. Einstein once got on a train leaving Princeton. And as the train took off, the conductor came down the aisles taking the tickets of the people that were on the train. Well, he came to the great old scientist. He reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket. So he looked into his other pocket. He looked into his briefcase and then to the seat beside him. And finally, the conductor said, that's okay, Dr. Einstein. I know who you are. And he just went on down the aisle. When he got to the end of the cabin, he turned around. And there was this old man down on his hands and knees under his seat looking for his ticket. So he rushed back. He said, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. And the old professor said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. (laughs) I thought about that story as I prepared this text. The Bible says that when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, that literally he left his old land not knowing where he was going. But there's a big difference between not knowing where and not knowing if. He did not know where he was going. But he was quite sure he was going to some specific place because the call of God was to come to a new land. A land that God would give him. And one purpose of Abraham's faith journey was to claim a land. He wanted to see God's claim of a land become his land claim. And so notice last time after the whole business of whether or not he was actually going to be a father got resolved, the very first thing that crosses the mind of the old patriarch. So we're in chapter 15. We're going to read in verse 7 to the end of the chapter. He, meaning God, Also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. 
Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen... A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Now, have you ever been promised something you could hardly wait to possess? Maybe you ladies remember that time that you were promised a ring and you couldn't wait for the day it actually was slipped onto your finger. Or, or maybe there are some families here that applied for adoption and you got the word You have been approved. And so you cannot wait for the day to take possession of that which you have longed for for so long. Well, that's where Abram is at. And I believe that's where we're supposed to be at. He's the father of the faith and our mentor. I believe taking your faith seriously means longing for a land. I believe we were made for a person and a place. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Then I'm going to come back and take you to that place so that you can be with me forever. Because we were made for a person and we were made for a place. And Abram, I think, is our father and the figure of what all this looks like. Because he wants the promised place. See, God reminds him that he did not just wander aimlessly to this place. He is not where he is accidentally. God says in verse 7, I brought you out. I'm behind this story. This is my plot. And he says, I brought you out for a purpose. To give you this land To take possession of it. Now Abram's been in this land now for some time. Maybe up to 10 years. And he has walked all of it. But he still owned none of it. Now usually when God talks to Abram. He raises an altar. But this time he raises a question. He says sovereign Lord. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? Of it. Now, that is not doubt. Remember, this is right after the great verse that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's not asking this question out of disbelief. Uh, you see, 
How can this be? Can be asked as a statement of belief or disbelief. I'll give you a great example is in the same chapter of the Bible, in Luke chapter 1. When the angel says to Zechariah that in their old age his wife Elizabeth would get pregnant. He says, how can this be? Because we're old. And the angel says, because you didn't believe, you will be struck dumb until the baby's born. Just a few verses later, the angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to give birth, though you're a virgin. She says, how can this be? But you see, one question was, no way, I don't think it can happen. And the other question was, that's awesome, how's God going to do it? And that's what Abram is doing here. He simply is expressing the great desire to possess what God has promised. God doesn't respond to his question with rebuke, but with revelation. He says, I tell you what, go get some animals. And Abram knew right away what to do. Now, back in their day, they had many ways to seal a covenant. You may remember in the book of Ruth, there was the shoe covenant where uh, Boaz and Uh, the other man exchanged sandals as they work out the arrangement for Ruth. That was one way back then you sealed a covenant. They had back then the salt covenant. But the most binding of all covenants back then was the blood covenant. There are actually still places in the Middle East today where the blood covenant is practiced. You would take an animal and you would cut it in half and you put the sides apart and then the two parties would walk between the severed animal. And the message was, may what has happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep my word, if I don't fulfill the terms of this covenant. So Abram sets the animals apart. He slices them in two, except for the birds. He puts them in the right place. And then God showed up. God showed up. In the form of this smoking pot and this torch. And it's the first time the Bible says God has shown up visibly on earth since the Garden of Eden. Now, maybe he did other times, but this is the first time we know about. In other words, this is a big deal to God. He wants this whole land claim business to be settled. And I think by type... It is saying something very important about the promised place all of Abraham's spiritual descendants should be longing for. Some years ago, there was this television show called Murphy Brown. Uh, This woman, this uh, gifted but acerbic uh, journalist and TV anchor person. And in one of the episodes, her child asks her what happens when you die. And she doesn't know how to answer the child because she doesn't know what she believes. She had grown up in an unbelieving home. Her dad, when she had asked the question as a girl, said something to the effect of, well, when you pull the plug on the refrigerator, does it keep running? She said she thought that when you died, goodwill came and got you. And so she goes to the people that were the main characters of the show, when none of them professed to be believers, and they got no answer too. At the end of the show, she had this character in her house all the time called Eldon the Painter. 
And he gave her this answer. I believe we do live on after this life, but not the way you expect. I believe we live on in what we create. And for me, it's my art. For you, it might be something else. And the show ends with Murphy Brown completely satisfied with that answer. And I want to go, what? Because that doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. Maybe you painted a really pretty picture. Maybe you have a building on some campus somewhere with your name over the door. So? You're still gone. If there is nothing after this for us to long for, if this place is the only place we have, then life really is pretty meaningless. The New Testament writers are going to take this story and they're going to use it to say, as his spiritual descendants, we need to be like Abram. We need to be longing for our promised land. And so I hope the words that God said to Abram will encourage your heart tonight. He said basically three things. Number one, he said, this land is yours. Know for certain. Let me tell you something. God does not predict. God decrees. And so what he gives Abram is not speculation. It's proclamation. It is announcement. He says, verse 18, to your descendants, I will give this land. Actually, that word give in the Hebrew is what they call a prophetic perfect tense. That means that what God is doing is he is speaking of a future event as if it has already happened. In fact, some translations, maybe yours, says, I have given. That is what God is saying. This land is yours. It is a done deal. I have already made it happen. You say, how can God make it happen? Remember, God lives in what I call the ever-present tense. God is outside of the time limitations that bind us. And so God can look at what he's going to do in the future, and he can announce it in any time he wants as a done deal because he's already decided it. And that's what he's doing here. In chapter 21 of Joshua, as it records the different tribes and the different parts of the land that they possessed, it says, starting in verse 43, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. God's promises are dependable because they depend on himself. You see, the second thing he said to Abram was, the guarantee is mine. See, two things would have stood out about this ceremony if you had been there and if you knew the custom of the day. Number one was the large number of animals. Typically, when this ceremony was performed, you just picked one animal. 
God had several animals picked. God's making a point here. He's putting an exclamation point here. He's calling attention to the importance. This land thing is important to God. So important, he personally, visibly shows up. This business of giving his people a land is a big deal to God. But even more startling than that, what really would have stood out was this. Only one party is involved. You noticed that, didn't you? Abram promised nothing. Only God went through the pieces. Because everybody knows in that custom, the two parties go through the pieces to make the covenant, committing themselves to making sure that what they are promising happens. But God does not invite Abram to walk through the pieces with him. Because Abram is not going to keep this covenant. This covenant is going to solely depend on the faithfulness of God. Some scholars see the birds of prey that come down on the carcasses as prophetic of the different nations that are going to try to keep Israel from the fulfilled destiny that God has ordained for her. But they will fail. God has ordained he will give Abram's children this land. And the guarantee is God's. It's as good as God's word. And it's still good news to Abraham's descendants. I want to read to you now a long text from Hebrews chapter 6. Where I think the author picks up. On this very story. And look at how he applies it. Starting in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by. He swore by himself saying. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently. Abraham received what was promised. Now men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said. And puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew author says you should be encouraged by what God did for Abraham. God's guaranteed Abraham, swearing by himself that he will keep every promise, should give you great hope. Much later, the Lord Jesus will be with his disciples at a dinner. Matthew and Mark and Luke all mention it. And Jesus says in all three of those Gospels, this is the blood of my covenant. In fact, Luke says, this is the blood of my new covenant. And by the way, this covenant will also depend solely on the work of God. The new covenant is not an arrangement between you and Jesus. Jesus is going to be sacrificed. And just like Abraham, the only role we have in this covenant 
is to trust. Especially when the claim seems so untainable. Third thing God said to Abram was, the possession is delayed. He says, your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for hundred years. Now, take just a moment and try to put yourself in Abram's place. Because up to this point, every time God talks about the promise, it's a focus on blessing. Oh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. You're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. Now God throws in, oh, and by the way, there's this little thing about 400 years of slavery I want to bring up. God reveals more of his grand story. And it included some chapters Abram would have preferred not to read, including one that was titled, Waiting on the Amorites. God says, Abram, you can't have the land yet. I can't judge the Amorites yet. They need another 400 years to let their sin reach its full measure. In the amazing grace of God, the Canaanites are granted four more centuries to allow the full depravity of their hearts to be expressed, thus negating all questions regarding the righteousness of God's judgment against them. He will wait until their sin has so defiled the land that they prove they're no longer worthy to live in it. You see, God's delays always have a purpose. And they still do. So I want to read to you now from 2 Peter. In the context, Peter's being asked the question, or the readers are, where's this talk of second coming leading? How come he hasn't showed up? Everything seems like it's always been. You say God is coming. Well, what's taking so long? That's a good question. Why, why has God delayed for the same reason he did in Genesis 15? Listen. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow. In keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. Why does God wait? He waits for the full measure of sin. To be reached. He will not judge a land or a world. Until the depravity has reached the point that there is no question regarding the righteousness of his judgment against it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. 
the home of righteousness. And so God said, Abram, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news, you're going to live to be an old man. You're going to die peacefully. You are never going to be a slave in a strange country. The bad news, you're never going to personally realize the promise of claiming this land. And the Bible says he's our example. Like Abram, we have been called to live as free pilgrims, waiting for our rightful place. We think the question is, when are we going to get our land? And God says, no, here's the question. What kind of people ought you to be? Until that day. So let me close with this simple thought. That staking my claim. Means choosing to live. In the future tense. I think that's what Abram did. I think that's why he's held up all throughout the New Testament as our model. He never asked God about the land again. He had seen enough. He spent the rest of his life. Embracing. A future reality. As a present encouragement. And the Bible says his story is our story and his example is our inspiration. Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward See, he was living in the future tense. That's why he lived in tense. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So he was able to embrace his old age, and he was able to embrace his death peacefully, confident of his land claim. And the Bible asks the question, is that how you're waiting? Are you waiting like your model and father Abraham? I got to tell you, I could wait like Abraham if I knew the promise was going to come next week. I could live in the future tense. I could be so content. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't stress out. You would never need to tell me to take a chill pill. If I knew that I would get the land next week, I could wait in the future tense. But we don't. Here's what we know. We know that while we wait, we are having to endure all these chapters that we don't want to read. And they're filled with pain, and they're filled with disease, and they're filled with mistreatment. And the temptation... Is just to settle down and just get as comfortable as we can get in this land. Because we're tired of waiting for the next one. 
And the Bible says, look at Abram. And then look at Jesus. And fix your eyes on the covenant he has made for you. And stake your claim now as you wait for then. So back to where we began. Billy Graham tells this story about Einstein not knowing where he was going. Then he says, you see this suit I'm wearing? It's brand new. I bought it just for this occasion. I will only wear it one more time. This is the suit I will wear when I am buried. But if you see me in that casket, don't remember the suit. Remember this, that I know who I am, and I know where I am going. We are supposed to long for the land. Sing this great verse with me. And Lord, haste a day when the face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound and the just a moment now I don't know what chapter you're in but I'm sure every one of us had a few chapters we wish we didn't have to read just take a few moments and long long for the land tell God how much you want to claim your promise Father, we, uh, we pray that that holy discontent will never be satisfied. That we will not try to fill that ache with anything the world offers. Because we want to claim the promise. Help us live now for then. In Jesus' name.
be standing, please. We're going to sing one more song. It's another song we haven't sung in a while, but I love the message because it just reminds us of the great longing we all have for some day. We're going to sing that song, and as we sing, if you would like to give your life to Christ tonight, put him on in baptism, you can walk down to the front right now. Let's sing.